man, it's so cool to be here, and it, uh, it's, it's so fun to, sometimes, you know, you get in that, that worshipful posturing, you know. I always, I think about that all the time, because you ever struggle with that, you know, with the whole, uh, we went to a conference this weekend, we all went Friday night, and a couple of the brothers went uh, Saturday as well, but, you know, you get in this thing where you, um, certain forms of worship that seem to be conducive, and, and some things are a struggle, maybe you, you have a hard time clapping, which I'm not sure why I have a hard time clapping, <laughs> but we do. Um, or maybe uh, dancing is a hard thing for you. And I don't know why we always pick on Baptists with the dancing, because I know Methodists can't dance either. So, <laughs> you know, um, I'm not just defensive because I'm a Baptist. I'm just saying. Um, but uh, there are some forms that seem conducive. You know, we talk about prayer, and there are some forms that seem conducive to prayer, right? And, and there are some things that sometimes this whole thing, and this is what I'm talking about maybe engagement, is you're sitting there and, and you feel like, you want to somehow glorify God. You know, we're sitting there and we're singing a moment ago, and uh, you're finding your arm doing its own thing. Has anyone ever experienced that? And your brain's telling your arm, stop that, right? It's, uh, sometimes, though, you know, uh, I remember whenever um, I was a youth pastor, the, the kids would, uh, would, would I, I took forever to break the kids the habit of raising their hand to, to say something in, in youth group or in uh, Sunday school. Um, and it just drove me nuts. And now I realize that the educational system has done a, been very diligent about trying to train them to do this. <laughs> and of course, that's all my work is to untrain them very quickly if I could, you know. Because I love the kind of chaoticness of, uh, of youth. I love the kind of chaos that comes with youth. And, and, but, you know, I found that sometimes when you're worshiping, you know, it's like that pick me thing. Do you ever do that? You know, sometimes that's what that means for me. It's like me. That's me today, Lord. I need that. And that's the forgiveness thing today, Lord. I'm like, that's me, Lord. I need to be reminded today I need your forgiveness again. Um, sometimes it's this kind of glorifying thing, like just, just be glorified. Not me. It's not us. It's you. And sometimes you just sit and you're quiet. We don't do that a lot. One of the things that we uh, encourage you to do is worship, worship in a way that allows you to connect to God. So don't feel like, you know, if, if uh, people are doing certain things, you have to do that. If you want to sit, you sit. If you want to stand, you stand. If you want to dance, you dance. And if it gets out of control, we'll come talk to you. <laughs> we really wouldn't. It never gets out of control, unfortunately, right? But, but you know, this idea that, that God is, is moving in our lives and that whatever it takes, whatever we have to do to put away, you know, whatever we have to put down or put aside or, or get the distractions away from us to spend a little time with God is, uh, is what we want to do. So I just want to encourage you in that today we've uh, we just finished the book of nehemiah and uh um that was a lot of fun and we're gonna kind of take a sunday off take a little bit of a break you know do you ever just want a break like a a break i, I saw some of you guys are back from vacation we're glad you're here and uh we hope that you're uh, well rested in that and this is kind of a time of vacation and re replenishing of our souls um getting away from everything of life and just taking a break and I find myself asking, when we kind of come to the end of the series, like, what are we doing? We spend time together each week, uh, and we, today we're going to talk specifically about the Bible, the Word of God, and uh, Scripture. But we spend this time each, each week together reading and learning and, and uh, teaching the Bible. And uh, why do we do that, you know? And, and then I even thought with, with, with our church, with Family Bible Church, why, why, is family, why is Bible in our name? Why is that important to us in that way, uh, what, that we would include it in the name? What does it mean? What does it mean that we have that name? What does it mean about our faith? What does it mean that we carry the book where we go places? You know? Do you ever show up somewhere where everyone has a Bible but you? And you're that guy? And you're like, oh. And you've got to ask, like, you've got to be humble, which this is a God moment, right? And you've got to say to a brother, you know, can I look off your Bible? I didn't, I didn't bring mine today. Do you ever feel like maybe you're entering the field of battle unarmed? You know? Lots of good uh, analogies in Scripture uh, for what Scripture does and is to us. But one of the things that I guess that surprises me, that frustrates me a little bit, are my own experiences, that, the, the experiences that I've had with the Word is, something going with the sound up here, is that um, we all too often forget what we've been given in the word we we don't know what it is we we, we um, and we don't use it and i was trying to think of a way to talk about this and have you ever had that experience i was trying to think maybe this isn't the best analogy but have you had that experience where uh you've forgotten where something is and you're like frantic to find it 
and you go around, and if you're a husband, this is probably your experience. <laughs> I'm sorry. <laughs> but you're going, and you know, you're like, where are my glasses? Where are my glasses? I can't find my glasses. Oh, my glasses, where are they? I don't know what to do. I, oh, it's so bright. Where are my glasses? And you realize they're on the top of your head, or, or they're on the back of your neck. And then someone points it out to you, and then you're like, I think sometimes we're that way with Scripture. I think sometimes uh, we run around in life, and we talked last week about maybe, are we stirring up the wrath of God by how we choose to live our lives. And I think sometimes we're around saying, I wish we, I knew, I wish I had some answers, I wish I, had a, I wish I was a plan, I wish I understood what life was about, I wish I knew. And, and, and yet we have this, this dusty old thing called the Bible sitting at home on a shelf, not in any danger of being ruined or used, you know. And it's right there, and we just ignore it. And so I don't know if that really gets to the point. Hey, Brett, can you turn off these monitors? Are these on? No. Okay. They're, they're humming. I'm going to move down to the floor. I like it down here anyway. Um, and so, uh, so here's, I guess, a little story, right? So I was an IT tech at uh, Wash U in St. Louis. And I was working, and uh, we get these calls. And, and I, I kind of became known as the guy who could pretty much, I would take any customer. There were, there were people who were kind of unnerving to the IT department. They, they, didn't wanna, they, they wouldn't take the call. That does happen. <laughs> and uh, uh, you might be that guy, I mean, if, if you always get voicemail of the IT, you know. Uh, but uh, I would always, I don't know, you know, because I found myself as a follower of Christ. I believe that I could, I could, I don't know, just go in there and find out what's going on. I don't know. That's kind of weird, right? But I saw that as part of my calling to go in and, and see what's going on. And I remember one time I went over and uh, I was called out 8 o'clock in the morning. This, um, this doctor uh, had called, and he called a lot. And so I was kind of new in my job, and they, they go, they said, um, you know, you're going to take anybody, right? And I said, yeah. And they go, you want, you want Doc so-and-so? I'm like, yeah. And like, he's one of the best pediatric surgeons in the, in the country, if not the world. Top, top, you know, uh, long time, great man, does great work. Uh, but he just, uh, he calls all the time, right? And so I'm like, I can handle it. And I'm thinking I'm going to be like out of my element here. I'm going to be beyond, I'm going to be in over my head. Sometimes that happens. You show up someplace and you don't, you're in over your head. And I show up over there at 8 o'clock in the morning and um, I walk into his office and he's frantic. And he goes, I said, I said good morning. And he, he's not fermenting words, you know, he, and he's old school. You know, he's got the books and the stuff and he doesn't have time for this stuff and it's interfering with his day. And, and he says, uh, it's not working. And I said, well, what do you mean it's not working? It's black. It's not working. It's black. Look, it's black. It's not working. Look at it. And I went over and I looked at it and it was black and it was, it was not working. And I said, uh, and, I, and I looked at it. Now, if you, if you have a computer, you can follow along with this. It was very black. As in there was no green lights. There was no orange lights. There was no red lights. There was no the black. Everything was black. And I said, well, have you turned it on? And he said, well, what does that mean? And, and I said, well, you have, to turn the, you have to turn the computer on to use it. And you would think I'm making this up, wouldn't you? And, and he goes, well, now, what, what is that? And so I, I, I go, well, let me just try something. Because I didn't know. I thought maybe it was unplugged. I mean, no way, right? I, I go crawl under, and I push the button under his desk. And he goes, oh, there it goes. <laughs> and we fought. And I stood there for a minute. I'm like, that was really it? I couldn't believe that was it, right? And I go, and I said, uh, so go ahead and log in. He logged in. Everything's fine. This is the last question he asked for me. Okay, I'm good. I'm good. Thank you. Thanks for coming over right away. I really appreciate that. And I said, uh, no problem, sir. Uh, you know. And he goes, now, let me ask you something. Do I have to do that every day? <laughs> and I thought, well, only if you want to use your computer every day. <laughs> you know? Uh, but, I, you know, I just, how funny is it that, that uh, we, we'd have that expectation you mean I have to turn it on every day to use it? And I think that's probably closer to what's going on with the Word. Maybe we haven't forgotten about it, but maybe we don't use it. Maybe we don't open it up. Maybe we don't get into it. Now, I'm going to confess, the daily Bible study thing is a struggle for me. 
right? And you might go, that's crazy. Well, as a pastor, I have studies I do for teaching and stuff. But I mean, a personal Bible study for me is difficult every day to do it. And, uh, and, but I, I, I strive for that goal. It doesn't mean I don't try to do it. And uh, every day you open the Word. Because what happens is you forget that every day if you open it, if you turn it on, it works. <laughs> Ridiculous, right? Every day it works. And so I'm going to encourage, I'm going to ask that we would open the Word today. And I want to talk a little bit about it. But before I begin, or as I begin, I want to read something. And I'm gonna, we're going to talk about a couple of things today um, that, are, that are just kind of fundamental issues that are kind of big, big, big ticket issues, okay? One is corporate worship and what we're doing here. And we've already done a couple of things. We're about halfway through our corporate worship time um, in that we have gathered together as the body of Christ. That's what we do, those of us who are following Jesus. And then we have um, opened the word, which we're about to do that now. And there's, a, there's four primary movements in, in worship. One is to gather together. The second is to open the word. The third is to respond to the word, which is a great thing to do, right? And sometimes that's communion. Sometimes that's a different response. Sometimes that's your engagement card, right? And then we, we leave. And that's as big of a part of worship as anything, is leaving this place. Um, and so we come and we hear the word proclaimed, and uh, we are edified and strengthened. And I want to share with you, because something else I'm going to talk about today a little bit, is this kind of false dichotomy between the professional pastor and, I don't even want to use the word, laity. Whoever thought up these words, it's a horrible idea. Because it, I don't think there's any grounding in Scripture for it. There's no basis in Scripture for this hierarchy of holiness. We don't find it in here, Okay? And so I find there's some resources that when I read them, I'm like, this is so good. And then it says something goofy like preaching on it. And then I go, well, nobody wants to read this book because it's for preachers. It's not for preachers. It's for you. You're a proclaimer of the gospel of Jesus Christ. If you know Jesus Christ as your Savior, you are proclaiming the gospel of Jesus Christ to everyone who is around you in your life. And if you, if you don't know that, if you don't admit that, well, you might have to pray about that a little bit because there's something going on that we are carrying the name of Christ into the world. This is a book by Barbara Brown Taylor. It's called The Preaching Life. It's one I had to read whenever I was at Greenville College, and I found myself reading back through it again. And uh, one of those God-timing things, I happened to be in the chapter on the Bible. And so I want you to just hear her reflection on scriptures and what it might mean. It says, I cannot think of any other text that has such authority over me. It interprets me faster than I can interpret it. It speaks to me not with the stuffy voice of some mummified sage, but with the fresh and lively tones of someone who knows what happened to me an hour ago. Familiar passages accumulate meaning as I return to them again and again and again. They seem to grow during my absence from them. I'm always finding something new in them that I've never seen there before, something designed to meet me right where I am at this moment in time. This is, I believe, why we call the Bible God's living word. When I think about consulting a medical book that's thousands of years old for some insight into my health, or an equally ancient physics book for some help with my cosmology, I understand that what a strange and unparalleled claim that this Bible has on me. Age does not diminish its power, but rather increases it. When I recognize my life and its pages, when I am convinced that this story is my story, then I am lifted out of my own space and I'm set free. I'm liberated by the knowledge that my oddly shaped piece of life is not a fluke, but it fits into a much larger and more reliable puzzle. In other words, I'm no longer an orphan. I now have a community, I have a history, I have a future. I have a God. The Bible is my birth certificate and my family tree, but it's more. It's the living vein that connects me to my maker, pumping me full of the stories that I need to know about who we have been to one another from the beginning of time, about who we are now, and about who we shall be when time is no more. See, she has a very grand view of Scripture. And I love the way she speaks about that. I would encourage you to read that if you want to read that book. It's called The Preaching Life. And uh, that's just one little piece in this kind of journey through Scripture she takes. And so that's kind of what I, what I find is, I, I, don't, I don't find that, the, I, you know my testimony, is this, this text changed my life. 
you know? The reason I'm so excited to even be able to speak about this is because it made all the difference to me as a sinner lost without Jesus. All the difference. So I'm going to encourage you to take your Bible. If you brought one, open it up to 2 Timothy. If you don't have one, we have them on the, t- on the chairs there. I don't think we have the pagination on the slide I'm going to show you here, but the 2 Timothy chapter 3, verse 16. Verse 14 is where we're going to start. I'm just going to read this together. Timothy 3, 14. And then we'll talk about it a little bit. It says, But as for you, continue in what you have learned and have become convinced of, because you know those from whom you have learned it, and how from infancy you have known the Holy Scriptures, which are to be which are able to be known, which are able to known. Well, I'm, I'm skipping that. I'm going to start at 15 again. And how from infancy you have known the Holy Scriptures, which are to make you wise for salvation through faith in Christ Jesus. All Scriptures God breathed. It's useful for teaching and rebuking and correcting and training in righteousness so that the man of God might be thoroughly equipped for every good work. Have you heard this before? Most of us have been around church for a while. I've heard this before. This verse out of 2 Timothy. I want to spend a little time. We're going to start, we're going to start in 16. The thing we're probably more familiar with is this idea. And I've done, some, uh, I've done some of this studying on this, and so I'm going to have my other set of notes out here. But, but uh, there's so much depth in the Word of God. And, you know, I've complained about this from time to time about our translations, how they don't quite get it. And I'm not saying that they don't know what they're doing because I'm not saying I know what I'm doing with it either. I am saying, though, that sometimes we, um, we kind of take it for face value instead of digging a little bit into the word and seeing what it has to say to say for us. So we're going to start in 16, where it says, All Scripture is God-breathed. By the way, this is what, you know, if, if, if that could be a little more space in my Bible, my Bible would probably look like that all, <laughs> all over. I can't get the kind of space in my Bible to write notes. But, uh, but it says, All Scripture is God-breathed. And useful for teaching, rebuking, correcting, and training in righteousness so that the man of God might be thoroughly equipped for every good work, okay? And as you read that, it kind of makes some sense. But I want to go through there and I want to just say some specific things that are in here that are truths about the word of God that we can hear, we can learn, we can cling to today. And we can be, and this is my goal, is to encourage you to engage in reading your Bible. We, we have this time of corporate worship where, where I spend a week preparing a lesson and then we talk about something together and I hope that you learn and I hope that you engage. And I'm not saying you're learning from me. I believe we're all learning from God. But I want to know that, that we're in talking about this and after the sermon, if you want to come up, if you, after the service, you want to come up, you want to say, hey, you know, this one thing or that's the greatest thing in the world is, is for me to know that God is revealing things to you like he's revealing things to me because I'm always in awe of the way he is working in my life. I'm always in awe of his grace and mercy with me. Who I don't deserve it. I don't deserve it. And this is what it says. It says, all scripture is God-breathed. And that first word there, all, it's like, it's like, um, it's like y'all, right? Anybody from the South, it's like y'all. Who cares? Why would I even talk about all scripture? It's, it's, the word in the Greek is pas. It has this idea. It means like, each of you and all of you. Do you see what I'm saying? If someone ever says to you in the South, y'all want some dinner, it doesn't just mean you all have to come to dinner together all the time. It means you might want dinner and your neighbor might not want dinner, right? So it's an invitation to you personally. Y'all want dinner? But it also doesn't mean that anyone's out because we're all going to eat together. So this is what it's saying. All scripture is God-breathed. And the word scripture is writing. All, all this holy writing is God-breathed. Now, I don't want to follow this rabbit trail too much of, because of, it really just means graphite. You know, like your graphite pencil? That's what it comes. It's just I, this idea of all this writing is God-breathed, right? But it's this idea that Paul is speaking to Timothy. By the way, we should probably take a minute here and figure out who these guys are we're talking to. Who are we listening in on? We spent some time, like I said, this weekend at an event where they spoke about Paul and Timothy and what was going on. And I want to say, again, a little disconnect with this book of Timothy. If you've not spent a lot of time in the book of Timothy, 1 Timothy, 2 Timothy, and Titus, I would encourage you to do that. Because what's happened, and I was reading the Webster, this thing is called a pastoral epistle. Have you ever heard that before? I'm, trying, I'm, trying, I'm not trying to use these big words at all. But you, we, we categorize these scriptures, and then we put them away. And we go, that's not for me, right? 
That, that's, that's, that's a pastoral epistle. It's like this book that says the preaching life. Well, that's isn't for preachers, right? So I don't have to read it. Well, that Bible, that book of the Bible is a pastoral epistle, so I don't have to read that one. But that's not the case at all. And I was reading Webster because I want to see what, is, what does that even mean, pastoral epistle, right? Because I know Paul's writing to Timothy, and I know Timothy's proclaiming the gospel, but I've already said you all proclaim the gospel every day. So I want to see if we're included in this. Webster says this, it's one of three New Testament letters, including two addressed to Timothy and one addressed to Titus that give advice on matters of church government and discipline. That's very nice and neat, okay? But it almost seems like that's all it has to say to us in Webster's. And then this is the kicker. The date when this word was coined, according to Webster, 1836. Now, we, first of all, you know, we might go like, 1836 is a long time ago, right? But then I'm reminded that for 1836 years, no one called it a pastoral epistle. It was just part of the Bible. And, and so I just want to encourage you to not exclude the book because it's written to a pastor. It's kind of ridiculous. It's written to those who are proclaiming the gospel, who are keeping the truth, who are discipling with Jesus and I pray that you're in that group. So that's the first thing we're talking about is that. So this idea that all Scripture is God-breathed, and, all, and that includes this writing to Timothy. It includes everything that came before. But that's interesting, right? Because this is a letter written to Timothy. And he's, when Paul's writing, is he including the book of Timothy as well? Is he including the other letters that were flying around at the time that were being encouragement to churches and encouragement to brothers in Christ and encouragement to those who accepted the gospel, encouragement to those who've been baptized? Is all that included when he says all Scripture is God-breathed? Or is it only the stuff that was written down in the past? Is it only the Bible they had? Is it only the scrolls that they had read together and agreed upon? It's a good question to ask. Paul says all scripture is God-breathed. This book we've been given is a living word from God. It's something that has been instructing followers of Jesus for 2,000 years, followers of Yahweh for 5,000 years, it tells us who we are, where we're from, and where we're going, as Barbara Brown Taylor said so well. But in 1836, we decided to kind of put a label on it and put it away, right? Maybe you put a label on the whole thing. Maybe you think, well, that Bible, that's for somebody else to do, somebody else to engage. I just want to encourage you today. I hope you're hearing me. I want to encourage you to engage in the conversation. It's right there at your fingertips. Now, we're going to spend a, a minute here. Uh, Greek. I brought my Greek, my Greek New Testament, right? Whenever I, you go to seminary, and I haven't gone yet, but whenever you go to, you, you get this, and, and they, uh, they, um, they tell you to carry this so you can impress people. Because you ever heard that saying? It's all Greek to me. If you take a look at this thing, it's a little overwhelming. But then you start to look at it longer and you start to see the text come out. I want to show you the word we have today. I'm not going to show you in the Greek. I'm going to show you the transliteration of the word. We'll pull it up here. This is the word that says the scripture is God-breathed. So you see that? Theonutos. Theonutos, right? You guys aren't very impressed with this. Woohoo! All right. Look at it. Theonutos, Theonutos, look at it, oh wait, she's going ahead, good, that's good, I like it, Theo, it's two words, did you see it, Theonutos, Theonutos, let's see, go ahead and go one more forward, Theonutos, go again, oh look at it, see it's this idea that this, this Theos, this God, this speaking God, had blown, had, it's, it's this pneuma, right? It's this wind of God. It's this breath of God. It, it's like God-blown words. Um, I think it's so amazing. I, I almost have this, this word picture, this image in my mind of these kind of pages just tumbling through and these followers of Jesus Christ are just snatching at them and realizing what they are. They're the word of God. It's the very word of God. Who was the first person to read a letter from Paul to someone like Timothy and say, oh my gosh, it's not for Timothy, it's for me. Who is that person? Who was the first person that read a, the letter that was written to the church in Thessalonica and is like, oh my gosh, it's not just for that church, it's for Highland. Who was the first person to say that these scriptures were authoritative to us? 
All Scripture is God-breathed. It's this idea that the very living God has blown. You know where else the story reminds me of in Scripture? What else does it sound like? Huh? Yahweh. Yeah, Yahweh, right? That's the, you know, where else do we hear the story? What does it say? He blew into the dust and we were created. He's just breathing. He's this God who is just speaking things into existence. That's what it says, right? He spoke and it was so. This is the God we follow and the God that inspires Holy Scripture. Oh, there's a great word. You see, it's an inspired text, we say, right? Inspired, inspirited. Now, I tell you what, y'all don't seem real excited about this, and I'm not asking you to get excited, but I'm going to tell you something. I get excited about this because I was tired. I was the guy who was tired of Christians talking about the Bible being a living word of God. Do you hear what I'm saying? These people come to me saying, oh, it's a living word, a living word. I'm like, whatever. And I, as a non-believer in Jesus Christ, I set out to read, read the Bible. This is my challenge to you on my own to, to investigate the text. I actually had to do it secretly when Chris wasn't around. Get it out, dust it off open it up and see what it had to say because, and here was the challenge, it was not a challenge between me and my buddy or me and my friend who was a Christian or anyone else, it was between me and the holy God, the God who breathed into my lungs. What a fool to challenge him. And the word of God interpreted me faster than I could interpret it. The word of God cut me to the core. And I had to eat those words that tasted bitter because it's a living word and we're ignoring it. We're ignoring it. Well, no more. No more are we going to ignore this text. And that's my prayer for you today is that you would not show up and, and say, I heard this, uh, this preacher, uh, Adrian, Adrian Rogers, is that what it is, on the radio, and he was talking about it, and he said, people who, who were talking about, I don't feel fulfilled in my spiritual life, I don't, I don't, I don't feel like God's moving, I don't, I don't sense where God's pushing me or whatever, and he said, if you only ate one meal a week, you'd probably starve to death, right? And this is the problem. A friend, a friend of mine used to leave his Bible at church on Sunday so he knew where it was next week. You know what I'm saying? You know? We want to make sure you got it when you're there. Well, yeah, but you might want to take it with you, man. You know? Engage in the Word every day. It's more important than the bread we eat. Let's go on. All scriptures, God breathed. It's got this breath of God in it. And he says, Paul says to Timothy, and it's useful for teaching. Now, see, I have a problem with abusing scripture. I have this issue that sometimes we want to make it useful to us, like a tool, like it's a wrench or something. You know, we can just work with it. But this idea, the word useful here, it's profitable is the way it's interpreted somewhere else. Profitable for scripture. And it actually means it's heaped up. It's like a big pile of goodness right here. That's what this is. It's just piling full. And he says there's four things it's piling full from. It's piling full of teaching. It's piling full of rebuking, which we may not want to hear, right? It's piling full of correcting, and it's piling full of training in righteousness. This thing is just filled to the brim. We can't exhaust it. We can't outlearn it. We can't overteach it. It's just a big heaping pile of goodness. These four things that, that Paul talks about, teaching, rebuking, correcting, and training in righteousness, I started looking at those, and some of those, like I said, I'm not real comfortable with them, you know, because the first one, the teaching, it, it can be translated as doctrine. Uh, is anybody allergic to doctrine? I get a rash. Y'all get a rash? I only say that, I only say it because, you know, whenever I was a non-believer, the first thing I'd do if I walked into a building, if I dared walk into a building as a non-believer, I would look at the doctrine, and if there's any, if that was my exit strategy. If there was anything there, I was like, oh, I can't stay here because that's, that's crazy. I can't do that, you know. And so I got this allergy to doctrine. But Paul's saying here to Timothy, it's a good thing. The, the scripture is full of good, sound, wait, instruction. That's what it is. It's instruction. Another word for teaching there. It's another word for doctrine. It's just these instructions for life, how we should live. And then this idea of this for rebuking. And, and we get this wrong all the time too, Right? We get it wrong all the time because we think, I read that word rebuking, I think of rebuking like this. You know what I'm saying? 
we're going to rebuke other people with the word. That's what we think, right? We think Paul's writing to Timothy's saying, saying, and he is. He's saying there's some people teaching false things, Timothy. Rebuke them with the word of God, right? But this rebuking works, you know, as, as you engage in the text, it works in all directions. You know what I'm saying? Words for rebuking is like reproving or convicting or telling a fault, mm, exposing a sin. Maybe the Bible is safer on the shelf after all. If we have to open it up and engage and if we have to be changed, if we have to be transformed, if it's going to hurt, if it's going to be surgery, Lord, maybe we don't want it. Maybe we don't want health at all. Next thing Timothy, or Paul says to Timothy here is it's, it's for correcting. And this is this idea, uh, it's, I love and I just encourage you to do this. Uh, um, we're going to talk in the next few weeks about, about specific, specific methods for studying your text. I, actually, this is a good time to invite you. If, you. if you find yourself, if you're like engaged in the word, you found things that are really, really beneficial to you, that man, it makes it come alive, I'm making a list. And we're going to share those together, some ideas, some ways that we can engage because sometimes it's daunting. And sometimes one of the problems that we have, I think, as Christians is we too often think that the way we do it is the only way to do it, you know, that the way we read Scripture is the only way to read Scripture. And so someone will say to you, if you can't get up at 6 o'clock in the morning, open up your Bible, not have your coffee yet, you know, light a candle, read. If you can't do it that way, you're not really doing it. And I don't think there's any truth in that. I think the worst thing in the world is that we put up these other barriers in the way, you know. I like the idea of kind of immersing your life in Scripture. Stick a little Scripture around your life just to mess with you, you know. So you don't have to actually open the book to read it. If you stick it somewhere like on your dash, you stick it somewhere like, you know, on your wall, you hide it somewhere, put it in the mirror in the morning, write it on your hand. Lots of good ways to engage. So if you have any of those, I'd love to have you tell me some stuff. We're going to talk about that as a community. But this word is for correcting. And, and this word, I'm going to talk about, it's reminding me of a tool because there's these great tools you can get into the kind of the words, what they mean. Because, again, correcting it sounds, but it's kind of like, you know, corrective lenses. It's like corrective, it's like a corrective uh, brace on your leg. It's like, you know what it means? It means something that was made to be upright is all bent over and deformed. Do you ever just want to set up straight, you know? <sighs> Breathe deep. Do you think you were made to walk erect? Or are we made to walk like all beat down all the time? Is this how we're, you know, is this where we live our lives? Oh, I'm just whipped. Just whipped. And Paul says to Timothy, the word of God is there to make you upright again, to correct you. It really does mean that. It's the same idea as a healing. It's the same idea as that leper's hand who unwraps. It's just correction, making new again. And the fourth thing he talks about here is training in righteousness. And again, these words have other connotations. And I don't know if you were raised in a church and some of these things, you know, because we get all this stuff about self-righteousness. It ought to be self-righteous with me, you know, and it's a big turnoff. The hypocrites, you know, oh, you hypocrites, Jesus said. And we hear those words. And then Paul's saying to Timothy after Jesus, he's saying, but, Paul, but Timothy, it's for training in righteousness. And you're like, wait a minute. What does that mean to be trained in righteousness? It's discipling, pure and simple. That's what it means. It's this thing of discipling as the education of children, like we talked about earlier. It's this, it's this teaching, teaching your children. If you dig deeper into the word, it kind of means like um, forming or shaping or, um, you know, striking. And us see, I got uncomfortable again. What, what does that mean, Lord? For righteousness? It's this idea of the coming judgment. It's, it's, it's going to hurt. If you're going to be formed, if you're going to be changed, if you're, if you're going to be renewed in the image of Christ, there's going to be places in your life that as a sinner, you're going to be loved to hang on to. But God loves you too much to let you keep them. And there's going to be this wrestling match. And he's going to have his way. And this is our experience, and it might be painful. It might feel like you're getting beat up sometimes, you know? This training of righteousness, this disciple-making, this discipling, 
this being a disciple of Jesus. But this is the fourth thing Paul talks about. It's this idea to bring us innocence again. What a novel concept. This discipline towards innocence. So he goes on, he says, so that the man of God might be thoroughly equipped for every good work. And see, and then we, okay, so that's, fifth, that's good. That means the half of the people in the room are out of the equation because the men of God are thoroughly equipped. It's written to Timothy from Paul. So the women, let's have a little moment. You're off the hook. All you got to do is chill, hang out. None of this, I'm sorry, I, I didn't see that in here. It says man, the man of God's the, wait a minute, it's anthropos. It means if you're a human, breathe, if you're a human being sucking wind, this book's for you. Bad news. <laughs> what? <laughs> you mean I can't just let my husband do all the spiritual stuff for the family? What? Anthropos. It literally means human. It's translated there in the, the sense of man as in mankind. It's this idea that the, the person of God, now I know Paul is writing to Timothy, and Timothy was a man. I'm not saying he wasn't a man, but this book isn't that narrow in scope. He's writing these big ideas about righteousness and about truth and about not falling for lies. And he says, if you're a human being and you're following God, you belong to Theos. It's the same word there as the God-breathed scriptures. You see, there's a big picture. We're being formed into the word. We're being transformed by the word. And it's for the humans of God, those who hear and see and sense God moving our lives, who have been claimed by God, Jesus, be praised. That you might be thoroughly equipped for every good work. And then we're going to go back to the beginning here. But before we do, we sang that song earlier, you know. And we have these ideas that there's these beautiful moments in our life. And I want to read some of these words here because this, in the original text, it's a little bit of a play on words here. It's artios exartizo. And it's the same word. It's like artios out of artios. And that word artios means filled, complete. Wait a minute. Perfect. Adequate. This very moment in time, it says, elevated, raised, suspended, perfectly ready. It's this idea that you are, there's this great, perfect moment and out of that moment, there's a great, perfect moment. Isn't that crazy? Paul, let's hear what he says again. The word, all scripture is God breathing, useful for teaching, rebuking, correcting, and training righteousness. We usually stop there so that the man of God can be thoroughly equipped for every good work. Thoroughly equipped in that moment. You know what it reminds me of? I wasn't much of a sports kid. You know, when I was in, I wasn't very good at sports. I was a little guy. I, I had no coordination, you know. And so I kind of stayed away from sports. And then I got older and some guys encouraged me to go and play some ball with them. And I got up there and had all this anxiety. You ever had that when you were a kid? Because you're always bad at sports. And so you get up there and you're like a grown man. You don't know you've grown up yet, you know. <laughs> you got the, and, and you're going to kill it. You're going to just kill it. And, and you can't hit the ball. You just can't hit the ball worth anything. And finally, a buddy of mine comes to me and said, listen, stop trying to kill the ball. Just swing. Just swing. Well, I swung a lot. And I didn't always hit the ball. But once in a while, once in a while, not at the ninth inning when there's three people on and you're down by four runs and you're up to bat and there's two outs. Not that. No, like in this first inning or second inning when no, nobody scored yet. It doesn't really matter. Once in a while, you take that swing and there's that perfect feeling that, you know what I'm saying? And it's effortless. It's the definition of Grace. There's that moment. It's just a fleeting moment. And Paul says, that's what the text is for. It's to train you, to prepare you, to get you ready for that perfect moment. When is that moment? We don't know when that moment comes. It might come in a conversation with a friend. It might come when we're all alone with God. It might come when we're in a huge event. It might come when we're driving in our car. We don't know when it comes. But if you're in the word of God, if you're engaged in the conversation, if you're listening to the living God who is speaking and has been speaking through his prophets and through his word, and you're standing there in that one moment, it's like everything is right with the world. To, to be thoroughly equipped for every good work. That, that excellent 
time, that perfect moment. I was trying to think, you know, I'm not a woman. Shocking. Um, what, what would that look like? Is raising kids the hardest thing ever? You know, I always hear, we talk about this, but I always hear people say, you know, like, you're never done raising them. And it's like, oh, stop saying that. <laughs> and I know it's true. I just don't want to hear it anymore, right? I mean, when you're in the thick of it, you're running down the trenches, when you're, when you're outnumbered, which is the problem sometimes, and, and you just can't, you can't go on anymore. I want somebody to tell me there's that moment that if we keep... If, you know, we talked last week about what was the sin in, in uh, Jerusalem, that the people, after the walls, that the people of God didn't know the language of God anymore. They weren't teaching their children the language of God. I want to know that if we're in the Word, and if our families are in the Word, and if we, that we're going to have that, not all the time, but maybe once in a while, you know, that moment, maybe despite all the chaos and craziness, that moment that you're like, wow, that's so cool, God. Thoroughly equipped for every good work. I want to know if that exists. And I hope if you had that experience, you would just say that. I, I've had them. So, I mean, I, I, I find those little snippets like, oh, it's so good. You know, it, it feels like a kiss from your daughter the first thing in the morning. You know, it feels like your son giving you a hug. It feels like, it feels like you call on your dad and just being on the phone for a minute. Those moments that are suspended. So I want to back up now a little bit. We're going to, we're going to back up here because we've gone to the end of, of Timothy 17. But I want to go back here and look in the verse 15 and what it says here. And it says, it says, And how from infancy you have known the Holy Scriptures, he's writing to Timothy. And it actually means like since you were an embryo. And I don't know if he means that literally or like kind of metaphorically here. But since you were a babe, since you were on milk, you, you, you knew the scriptures. You were hearing the scriptures. That's the beautiful thing about Sunday school is we get these, these things you can just get as a kid. You can just have them. They're gifts to you. Which are able to make you wise for salvation through faith in Jesus Christ. And this is the point of the text. Too many times, our error with Scripture is we want to make arguments about what Scripture is and this and that, and we hold it up higher and higher and higher and higher and higher until it ends up being over the head of Jesus Christ on the cross, never intended in the Word of God. Do you hear what I'm saying? The Bible, everything about the Bible points to the coming Savior, Jesus Christ. The Old Testament prophesies about it. The New Testament celebrates it. He is the living Word, Jesus Christ, the God-man who came to save us all. He's the one the book is written about. And let's never make the mistake of making the holy word the holy word, you see. It says here, Paul says in 15, the scriptures are able to make you wise for salvation through faith in Jesus Christ. And he says, furthermore, leave back up a little bit, you know whom you heard it, whom you learned it from, because he's in this kind of time of chaos. And he says... So this idea that you can learn it, it makes you wise salvation, but you can actually learn it. If you don't understand it, you can read it. I got some friends who I'm encouraging to read the scriptures, and they said they've read them, and they don't understand it yet, and I tell them, keep reading it. I mean by they don't understand it, they don't know Jesus Christ their Savior yet, and I say, keep reading it. Keep talking about it. Keep in the conversation. Because when you do, it's all worth it. All the wrestling and all the struggling. It's the most amazing thing ever to know that Jesus Christ, the very creator himself, came to save us the gospel. And so you can learn this gospel from reading the text, Paul says, and then backing all the way up to 14, he says, because he's telling Timothy, don't be like that, be like this. I'm going to back up to 12. It says, in fact, everyone who wants to live a godly life in Christ Jesus will be persecuted. You see, because Timothy's having a hard time. And he says, while this is going on, evil men and imposters will go from bad to worse, deceiving and being deceived. So this idea that in this world of kind of deceivers and things that are lies, and it looks like truth, and it smells like truth sometimes, but it's not truth. He tells, Paul, he tells Timothy, no, as for you, continue in what you've learned. And this is the hook for the rest of us. This is the hook for those of us who maybe are feeling like we've read that. But I don't know if that ever happens. You know, I've never met anyone who loves the Lord who's tired of reading scripture. I've not, I've not experienced that. 
I, I wonder as a human, don't, won't we get tired of reading this book, but I've never experienced it, and I've never seen anyone who's experienced that per se. But this idea of continuing in the, what you have learned, continuing in what you've seen, continuing in what you've become convinced of, Paul says to Timothy, is this idea of waiting, of dwelling, of holding continually onto this, of, here's a word, tarrying. The words meno, continue, abide, live, hang out. This is the word that Paul uses when talking about the scriptures. To remain, to sojourn, to tarry, to not depart, to continue to be present, to hold it up, to keep it, to continually be in it, to not to endure, to not, be, to not perish, to survive. Remain in the Word. And here's the thing. We just scratched the surface today. This little bitty piece of text, you see that little bitty piece of this great big book, which is all part of my story as well, has so much to teach us. So, so, so well, there's a question, like, so what? What are we doing? I already told you we're going to spend some time talking about how to study. And I, I want to learn. I want you to tell me what works for you, what's happening in your life. What, what, how do you find that it really helps you dwell deeper in the Word? But the most important thing is that you start. You'll see on the back of your card, there's the next step to the top. We put it on the top for you to take with you. Um, I put it at the bottom there, and I, had, you know, I kind of hesitated to put this on there, but I put commit to a Bible reading plan, because that might sound like a, a big, heavy task, but I mean just have a plan. I don't mind what your plan is. Just have a plan, and then commit to it. Uh, one of the ideas there is to pray through a scripture. One of the ideas I would, inv- I would invite you, you know, to, to start with a gospel. Don't start Genesis trying to read the text for the first time. Start with a gospel. Hey, start with Mark. I always say that because that's what I did. Six chapters of Mark changed the rest of my life. Changed everything. Start with a topic. Start with your favorite book of the Bible. If you've got that one you read over and over and over again, start there. That's okay. Just start there and, and go forward from there. Here, here, see, it's not all about being alone. Join a family group. We, we were doing Financial Peace University, which was great. But man, I was so hungry to get into just a small group setting and dig into the Word. And what a blessing that's been. Joining with others in the reading of Scripture. And that's what family groups are for. They're to kind of hang out, live together, and then read the Word together and see what that means. What, what does this mean to us? What is this Word saying to us? The most important thing is that you would start, though. I challenge you to start this week. Do something this week. Read something this week. I'm going to close with this idea here. So is there any danger with Scripture? We talked earlier. Any misunderstandings about Scripture? And one of the things I talk about is rebuking. We think that this idea is rebuking as Timothy's saying, or Paul's saying to Timothy, go rebuke. And he is, but rebuking, as you know, if you're in the Word, is it goes, you know, all over the place. Those rebukes do the Word. And I want to turn here to a text which came to mind, Hebrews. And, uh, oh, I'm on the wrong way. This is Hebrews uh, 4.12. And it says this. In this case of mine, I was so excited about it. I was so like, yes, this is beautiful. It says, for the word of God is living and active. It's sharper than a double-edged sword. It penetrates even to the point of dividing soul and spirit, joints and marrow. It judges the thoughts and the attitudes of our hearts. Nothing in all of creation is hidden from God's sight. Everything is covered and laid bare before the eyes of him we must give account. And then I realized that this wasn't graphi here, but this was logos. And the logos is the very word of God incarnate. That would be Jesus Christ. And the problem with Jesus Christ is if you try to use him as a weapon, you always get hit on the backswing. You know what I'm saying? If you're going to take your Bible and use it as a weapon, what's going to happen every time is you go to hit somebody and you're going to hit yourself and you're going to go, oh, man, that's going to leave a mark. It's never intended to be a weapon in that way. Jesus Christ came as Logos to be the very living word of God. And the Bible only points to him. And that's what we believe, Family Bible Church.
It's not difficult. That's what's so amazing about it. It's not a complicated concept, right? But we have such a hard time accepting it. That there's nothing we can do to earn God's favor. There's no righteous acts that are good enough to deserve a spot in heaven. We didn't do anything to deserve him to come here for us. But yet Jesus Christ came. And he didn't just come and live, you know. He came, he lived, he called these guys around him just to, just to invest in them. And then he showed them how to live and how to die. Hmm. Jesus Christ. And so we're going to close with that thought because nothing else that we're saying or doing, nothing in the, at, 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 you know, all the, you know, one of the things that Paul warns Timothy against is this idea of meaningless chatter, you know. We get caught up in all that meaningless chatter. But the truth of the matter is it means nothing, nothing, nothing without Jesus Christ. And that's our testimony to you today. So I'm going to ask you, if, if, I'm going to invite you that if you don't know the living God, if you don't know Jesus Christ, today's a good day. Today's a good day to ask the question. Today's a good day to welcome him in. But I got news for you. You see, he chose you already. And that's a tricky thing. You're not doing anything by earning it. You're just admitting it. And so I'm going to invite you today that if you have not received Jesus Christ as your Lord and Savior, I would say do it today. And if you want to read the scriptures to try to figure stuff out, read the scriptures, but do it today. Let's pray together. Father God, uh, we're grateful to be present with you. We're grateful to have a conversation with you. We're grateful that, that you've had men and women come before us who are faithful to your word, who studied it, who dug in, who cared enough to show up and teach a children's program to teach us those very first words. We thank you for uh, your mercy and grace. Lord, it, uh, it's all too often, um, it, all too rarely do we re recognize our sinfulness, Lord, how, how broken we are without you. It's so easy to forget. It's so easy to act as if we've earned righteousness somehow. And uh, Lord, I just confess today that that's the case. That, uh, we think we can earn it. We think we can do it. And uh, we can't. You do it all. We just glory in that, though. We glory in you and who you are. We thank you for, uh, for your Son and our Savior who came. And Jesus, I, I just pray that your Spirit would dwell richly in us. That you would give us a hunger for the Word that would be worse than our hunger for dinner. You know, that, that if it came between eating and reading, we'd be reading, Lord if it came between the worldly things and your things we would always choose you and by your, by your power and by your spirit may it be so may you be glorified through these dumb lips may you always be glorified we just give you praise and glory praise things in Jesus name amen you can respond in any way. You can respond where you are. You can come up. You want to pray. Come up and pray. If you want to pray where you are, pray where you are. If you want to wait and read some scripture later, do that. But just be involved in the conversation with living God. I would invite you to do that today.